0: Broadcasting live from inside of Mr. Bean's tiny apartment, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother.
1: I'm Ricardo. What's up? Happy holidays, everybody.
0: And happy holidays indeed, my friends. I'm really excited to be back for another one of our classic Christmas special special. So
2: should we jump right into news?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
2: It feels like we're doing this every week now. I know I say that every week (laughs) now, too. Unfortunately, Jeremy Bullock, British actor most known for playing Boba Fett in the original Star Wars trilogy, has passed away. He was 75.
0: It's a shame, you know? Yeah. We just lost the original Darth Vader, and now we're losing the original Boba Fett, and at, like, the peakest peak Star Wars that we've seen in a long time, and it really sucks. It just, it's sad to see him go.
2: Boba Fett is having a bit of a pop cultural resurgence at the moment. I was already seeing all kinds of appreciation posts and things of that nature about Jeremy Bullock even before he passed. So that was kind of nice, I think, that hopefully before he passed, he was able to receive some of those accolades that are coming his way again because Boba Fett's more in the zeitgeist right now. I know it would have been a really tight turnaround, but I was kind of surprised when I watched The Mandalorian yesterday not to see a dedication to him pop up at the end, especially given the way that the post credit scene, very light, vague spoilers, the post credit scene of The Mandalorian season finale goes.
0: Yeah, me too, but like you said, it's kind of that tight turnaround, I don't know if they...
2: But let's touch on... Something that was actually announced in the Mandalorian season finale yesterday, at the end of the Mandalorian credits, they announce that the Book of Boba Fett is coming to Disney Plus December 2021.
0: Somehow more Star Wars news for new shows, huh? Yeah.
2: <laughs> now, a lot of people are saying that this is a spin-off series, which I actually don't necessarily think that it is, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in spoilers. When it says The Book of Boba Fett, it never says a new series coming to Disney+, Plus, and we already know that the timeline for The Mandalorian Season 3's release is December 2021, and it's already broken into chapters, The Mandalorian. It makes me wonder if The Mandalorian Season 3 is going to be an anthology season called The Book of Boba Fett. Mm.
0: That is interesting, actually, yeah. considering, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it more later, but the way that this season ended, I am kind of lost on the direction that they might go. So that would be interesting to see if they if they end up making that a reality.
2: We have some long-anticipated news that it's official. You can now stream HBO Max on Roku devices. The app has also been added to the PlayStation 5.
0: As the only one of us with a PS5, you're going to have to give us the details if you ever go and and explore to see if it's it's a good uh, adaptation of all this technology here.
2: So far, my streaming experience has been good. I've used Hulu and Netflix, and they've worked like a dream. YouTube works just fine. Actually, I like the YouTube for my PS5 better than I like the YouTube for my Roku because all the text is bigger, and I feel like an old man saying that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Disenchantment Part 3 coming out January 15th.
2: I'm still sleeping on Disenchantment, Ricardo, but I know it's a Matt Groening of Simpsons of Futurama fame series. It's supposed to be really good from everybody I've talked to that watches it, I just haven't gotten around to it yet.
1: It hasn't quite reached its stride yet in the same way a Futurama would have, but I I definitely think it's still worth a watch.
0: So let's talk about Tom Cruise flipping out on his crew on the set of Mission Impossible, huh?
2: (laughs) We've talked about how seriously the entire production of Mission Impossible is taking COVID restrictions. Did you guys listen to his audio?
0: I listened to it on the way to work yesterday, and I showed up, like, (laughs) energized and ready to do everything right because I didn't want to (laughs) get yelled at by Tom Cruise. Here's my take. Every single
2: thing he says is absolutely correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: I I agree with him. He's in the right.
2: Especially because I do think he's right that a lot of film productions, including, like, the big boys, like, Disney, Marvel stuff, are looking at the way that Mission Impossible is shooting right now as a template for how to safely get back to production.
0: Yeah, that was a big part of his blow-up, was that he, I think he's feeling that huge weight of responsibility to, like, save Hollywood personally, kind of. And, I mean, (laughs) say what you will about Tom Cruise and his god complex, but... I mean, he's kind of right. He, Like you said, they are the standard of how Hollywood can continue right now until there is a chance to go back to normal. When I clicked on that clip, I thought we were going to get, like, a new Christian Bale flip out of just like, oh, a star is being a huge jerk because he can. I was
1: waiting for that, man. That's what everyone's been talking about in conjunction with the whole Tom Cruise thing.
2: (laughs) And that's the tricky part about it is, Absolutely, Tom Cruise's behavior is unprofessional. You shouldn't yell at your employees. It's hard to disagree with him or say it's not warranted given the severity of the pandemic and how seriously everything's been taken. But I do think, you know, honestly, at that point,
0: just fire them. Yeah, do we know what these crew guys did? Like, what were the rules that they were breaking that I they
1: think they so weren't wearing weird. masks
0: I have looked
2: and looked and I cannot find any official any like nobody has officially said that was on set what exactly quote-unquote COVID production restrictions the crew was breaking but it sounds like yeah they weren't wearing masks is probably the most likely scenario Tom Cruise's two greatest enemies are COVID-19 and motion smoothing television <laughs> Speaking of COVID's impact on the film industry, it looks like in response to the HBO Max Warner deal, many movie theaters are considering slashing Warner Brothers ticket prices to as low as $3 so that the studio makes next to nothing back on its theatrical release.
1: Kind of petty, but also $3 movies, you say?
2: Kind of petty, but Warner Brothers started it with no notice
0: and a huge breach of protocol yeah this yeah is man like you weird. can't just
1: do something that big and not tell anybody
0: <laughs> garrett you always say that it's like it's great for the consumer like hell yeah i'm in for three dollar movie tickets after years of paying insane ticket prices but this is just probably gonna be some form of like mutually assured destruction at the end of this trail where our movies are going to get affected by the way that none of these companies are going to be making any of their money back.
2: It's good for the consumer on a very temporary basis. I, I think mutually assured destruction is a good term because this could potentially cripple both Warner Brothers and, more certainly, the movie theater industry as a whole. So, this is short-lived... Good for the consumer.
0: We're getting farther into the depths. It's going to be harder to come back from stuff like this, especially when there's just going to be more retaliation back and forth. But
2: I have faith in the movie industry because I'm a believer. Oh,
0: two weeks in a row we're referencing that song.
2: Inductees to the National Film Registry have come out and are getting a lot more attention than usual because... People are really memeing about Shrek being in the National Film Registry.
0: (laughs) Shrek and the Dark Knight, two movies with equal cinematic merit.
2: Shrek has a lot of influence on the way that pop culture has gone over the last 20 years. Like, really, that is
0: true. like Yeah, all jokes aside, Shrek is a fantastic movie and kind of deserves to be in there.
2: And also was the first movie to show that Pixar didn't have a monopoly on CG animation.
0: And now we're just, we're rebooting it in like the same time frame as it's in this National Film Registry, so we'll see which one, which version of Shrek really stands the test of time here.
1: (laughs) I would have chosen Shrek 2 to induct, but that's just one man's opinion.
0: Absolutely. Shrek 2 is the superior film,
2: but I do understand, you know, also it has to consider the impact it has culturally, Speaking of reboots we probably don't need, the nerds are back and they're as problematic as ever, helmed by Seth MacFarlane. I
0: was gonna say, I love the Lucas Brothers, but isn't Revenge of the Nerds, like, not okay anymore?
2: Because nerd culture now has become so toxic that I think if you made a film where, again, you jumpstreet it, where you're not rooting for the nerds, where you're like, man, these guys think they're the underdogs, but really, they just suck. I think that could be a pretty interesting take. I don't think that's probably the direction they're going to go, but that is a property that has unique reboot potential in the way its themes, quote-unquote, have evolved since it was released originally.
1: I'm with Seamus, though. The name Lucas Brothers is the only thing that's really making this interesting to me.
2: Am I an idiot who...
0: Are they? They're the two twin brother comedians. I actually think they were in 22 Jump Street. No joke.
2: Oh, 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 yes. I know these guys. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah, I mean,
0: they're hilarious, and I have a lot of faith in what they can do as, like, entertainers. Their stand-up is absolutely hilarious, and they're, like, as writers, they can, they show their chops often. Revenge of the Nerds. I I probably need to revisit the original, maybe. I feel like I haven't seen that movie in a thousand years.
2: If you're interested, Seamus, on my Facebook Marketplace right now, you can purchase the Atomic Wedgie Collection with all four Revenge of the Nerds films on DVD that I am currently selling. There are
0: four (laughs) of them?
2: And speaking of bad.
0: Speaking of bad.
2: Sony is pulling Cyberpunk 2077 from the PlayStation 4 and refunding customers who have already bought it. After it is absolutely just bricking PS4s, (laughs) it is not working at all. I understand it runs okay on PS5, Xbox Series X, and high-end PCs, but this was supposed to be a PS4, Xbox One era game, and it will not run on those systems.
1: That's a big oof right there.
0: It's got the same symptoms of... You know, No Man's Sky, and um, I guess it was a bit of a different situation with Battlefront 2, but just, like, the insane fan backlash after God knows how long, however many years of hype and delays.
1: For this situation, wasn't the whole thing, like, they kept delaying it, and CD Projekt Red was like, it's not ready, and everyone's like, just release it already, you've been working on it for how long, how long could a game actually take to make? They're fine, here it is. This is unplayable garbage, it's broken, why did you release this?
2: Yeah, I think it is definitely part of the problem, Ricardo, I agree with you on that, that there was so much pressure to release it that they released an unfinished
0: product. Yeah, it was a lose-lose situation when they're just like, there's no way out at that point, they have to release it, and I mean, like, I've heard it's actually quite fun if you have it on a next-gen console and don't get caught up with the... 50-some average game crashes that happen with even the next-gen.
2: All right, I think that does it for news, boys. Let's move on to our specials. Welcome to the Christmas Special Special 2, Home for the Holidays. And whichever one of you boys put that in the Google Doc, that is a beautiful thing. Shout Thank out to
1: Selgado, <laughs> Hey, baby.
2: So we're going to go ahead and start with my pick for the Christmas Special Special, I think a true Christmas classic, and maybe the first exposure most people have to this story, Mickey's A Christmas Carol, the Disney retelling of the Charles Dickens classic.
1: You are absolutely right. This has to be my, at least for me, my first ever exposure to the whole Christmas Carol story.
0: It's like my first and definitive version of A Christmas Carol, pretty much.
2: Rewatching it for this episode... How did it feel to you guys? Did it age well? Did it feel good coming back to it?
1: It moves at a clip. I, I didn't realize how just how fast it was over.
0: Yeah, truly.
2: Yeah, like a tenth of this movie is the opening <laughs> credits. It is really short.
0: Oh, man. A lot like your Halloween special pick, Garrett, Ichabod and Mr. Toad, this definitely unlocked a lot of those like Disney Channel holiday memories for me. And it, it was lovely. I really like this version of this story. I like it as just like a Mickey Mouse Disney cartoon by itself.
2: Also, this is one of the earliest instances that I can think of of them crossing over different Disney intellectual properties because you have the main core Disney characters. So you're Mickey, you're Scrooge, you've got Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio, you've got Mr. Toad from Ichabod and Mr. Toad, and then even I think like they're the three little pigs you see in the background of this. So you've got a lot of different Disney
0: worlds colliding. Yeah, you're, you must be right that this must have been one of the earlier versions of that. They're just like, well, it's, it's Christmas. Of course they're going to be in the same cartoon. It doesn't matter. It's Christmas.
2: I will say, for me re this, there are a lot of the bits that I really like, and I find the animation absolutely delightful. The grapes that the Ghost of Christmas Present eats... Just still look like the best grapes I could ever imagine. <laughs> Cartoon eating. food. That man. whole
1: scene, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. Everything's so warm, and it looks looks like it tastes really good. That bit during the the future part of the story that has got to be the most acting I've ever seen out of Mickey Mouse, where he like he's holding the cane of Tiny Tim, <laughs> and you can just see uh-huh. just the heartbreak in his eyes, <sighs> and just yeah.
2: Whoever animated Mickey in that sequence did a really good job, especially considering. With how rushed the story is, I think, and I was just praising how good the animation is and how, like, the vibes are right. But I think this story loses a ton of its emotional potential because of how rushed the storytelling is. Yeah,
0: I we could have gone for another good 10 or 20 minutes. I mean, I'm pretty sure the ghost of Christmas future is... He's got, like, one line. He's yeah. smoking a cigar. I feel like... I don't know, even in the past, I feel like there's more potential to see a lot, but they're just like, oh, it's for kids. They're not going to care about Charles Dickens and the details of, like, these time jumps. we got to show them characters that they know, and we got to get this moral in in under 25 minutes.
2: Probably next year we'll do The Muppet Christmas Carol, which they're releasing the unedited version of. We didn't talk about that during Oh, news. snap!
0: I've never even seen The Muppet um, Christmas Carol.
1: You've never seen Muppet Christmas Carol?
0: I haven't seen a Muppet Christmas Carol, and I haven't seen Muppet Family Christmas. I know that's kind of a different caliber of Christmas Muppets, but...
1: I agree with Garrett 100%. It's gotta be... For me, it's the definitive version of a Christmas Carol.
0: But anyway, the
2: Disney Mickey Christmas Carol, they get a lot out of Tiny Tim in the Cemetery which goes from heartbreaking to horrifying just real quick. Just
0: Oh <laughs> real, you mean real quick. the cut to Scrooge being <laughs> dragged to hell? Is that is that you're too quick cuz yeah, I think I agree. I also forgot
2: how little of the actual prose was maintained from the Christmas Carol story, which is one of the best written stories, I think, ever, in terms of the way it just informs characters so much through dialogue. And I feel like it was also partially really cheapened, both emotionally and just the artistic merit of it, by the way they dumbed down and disnify a lot of the dialogue.
0: Yeah, you're definitely not wrong. And I mean, like, the first half of it, you don't even... Like, you see tiny tim for like 30 seconds collectively in the entire thing pretty much and for a while there i almost thought they were just like yeah we'll cut tiny tim no kids don't want to see little bum leg kid it's fine
2: (laughs) i'm calling it right now in the next three years there will be a christmas carol netflix original miniseries
1: all right i'm gonna hold you to that we'll see i feel like that happened already (laughs)
2: like a netflix-ified event
0: series the
1: ghosts are like actually
0: scary i was kind of thinking about something like that when i was watching this mickey christmas carol just like the original like telling of this story charles dickens like scared his audience with just how he described these ghosts i bet they could make like a real horror centric version of this that would be like like you said actually kind of scary
2: but yeah it's good to have on in the background when you're decorating the christmas tree yeah
0: let's move on to ricardo's pick this was your rec center just a couple of weeks ago, right? Clone High? Yeah. This holiday special was my first exposure to like a full episode. I've seen parts of it, and it's obviously like got kind of a meme culture around it, too, these days. But this was kind of an eye-opening experience, to say the least.
1: Yeah, where well, the show's mostly just a lot of nonsense.
0: <laughs> Way more adult nonsense than I was expecting. I was going in for like... Powerpuff Girls-style humor, but they were, like, you know, joking about sex and joking about mutilating Abraham Lincoln's face. I
1: don't know what it is. That running bit of just Abe Lincoln getting mutilated makes me laugh every time. I also didn't know that
0: it was co-created and produced by Bill Lawrence, who is a fantastic producer, showrunner, writer. He was the genius behind scrubs which is one of my favorite shows of all time pretty much and i actually i heard a lot of familiar voices from scrubs in clone high so i I was really happy to see that too
2: i noticed that too a lot of the scrubs cast krista
0: miller and donald Faison. i think neil flynn gets in there too i think he sneaks in
1: technically speaking this isn't a christmas special it's a snowflake day special (laughs)
0: They really hit it home that religious-specific holidays are all equally valid, but all equally, like, not recognized by this world. They're, like, real, but they don't celebrate it whatsoever for inclusion purposes. I really like the little claymation Rankin and Bass dunking on Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa all at once to tell them that it's about spices and a pirate, I guess? I didn't get that part of (laughs) Snowflake Day. Why are they pirates?
2: The most of a reason that I could come up with was the idea of, like, Christmas and the holiday season in general is being looted by consumerism. Oh,
0: you think they're getting symbolic cool. about capitalism on oh, this Oh, I one? mean,
2: like, it's very explicitly about consumerism. Like, mm-hmm. that's the whole driving force behind the plot of I the I guess episode. that's true. They're...
0: Yeah, that's
1: Joan of Arc's so, whole thing.
2: And so I think that the best idea of why he was a pirate that I could come up with, is that he's like this manifestation of ransacking the season for all the money it could possibly shake out.
1: Oh, you know, sometimes pirates are I know, just I, funny. I,
0: I, yeah,
2: sure. Yeah, I was gonna say, with everything going on in this show with how sophomoric it is, I think it has enough thematic resonance to the message and story they're trying to convey. It didn't bother me. There's a lot more random stuff in here than that.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, Young JFK is doing a Christmas album for no reason, and...
2: A joke that Lord Miller would reuse for Spider-Verse. Oh, wow, yeah, I guess (laughs) that... Very true. (laughs) I didn't even make that connection.
1: You you guys want to touch on Mandy Moore, who's here for some reason? Yeah.
2: (laughs) See, that's a lot weirder to me than the pirate.
1: (laughs) Than Snowflake Jake?
2: what, What does Mandy Moore have to do with anything? Again, it doesn't bother me, but, like...
0: And the the ambiguity of her identity, she's like credited as, she's like Mandy Moore (laughs) as herself, question mark? The just absurdity of everything going on kind of got me more interested in... Of course, I know the premise of, like, they're clones of historical figures, and they're in high school, and I liked how all of these characters were kind of interacting with each other, especially Abe Lincoln and Gandhi, which, I don't know why that version of Gandhi really did get this show pulled from the air, because he's just a goofy guy. He doesn't even do anything. It's weird and funny and clearly a confusing piece of humor, because I really didn't know who it was for, because there's, like, sex jokes and violence and gore kind of abe lincoln's flapping
1: cheeks getting shredded well it is an adult animated series. that this aired on mtv it was meant for an older audience i will say that the gore is very hyper specific to this episode they don't do that in any other episode <laughs> weird. they s-
0: saved it all for
1: the well,
2: holiday special every character but gandhi does seem to derive their personality from their historical counterpart Whereas Gandhi's just kind of like a guy. We all
0: know about JFK's musical career. That was like the only thing we saw of him in this one, <laughs> but, but I mean, guess. So we, we can't really tell. But
2: but it's about vanity that it's on and, par with and his, his real life. Yeah. Lincoln is self-sacrificing, devoted, and has a little bit of acute social awkwardness and a lack of self-awareness. You have these attributes that are found in the real-life counterparts of those characters. But then, like, Gandhi Gandhi isn't really, like, ascetic or overly peaceful or anything like that. He's just kind of...
0: I've got to say, maybe that's why there is such backlash, is that all the other characters are kind of rooted in this, like, collective historical agreement of, like, yeah, Abraham Lincoln was kind of a, like, super honest and nice person.
1: I'll say there's a little bit of a context. All of them, they just feel this intense pressure to live up to, like, their real, like, historical counterpart. And with Gandhi, it's like the pressure became just so much. He said, Oh, I'm just not going to do any of that. I'm just going to go in the complete opposite direction and just be wild.
2: Oh, so that does actually, that gives us a lot of context. That's very helpful for this <laughs> entire conversation that we, that we should pontificate. Well, now I,
0: I want to go, I want to go and watch this now from the beginning. Cause this episode really, it gave me a taste for these characters and I like it. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas Mr. Bean. Mr.
1: Bean. I love it. I love it so right? much. Right,
0: It's just, <laughs> Your humor. It's so good. He barely has to speak any words and he's just making me crack up, me watching this at like 1am.
2: I hadn't seen Mr. Bean in years. Like, I love Mr. Bean. We've talked about that on the show before. But I had forgotten how intrusive the laugh yeah, track is. Yeah, the laugh
0: track definitely <laughs> it, it's, it's strange. Man, I, I kind of recently got back into the old Mr. Bean series when I was just I don't know, I was trying to get into, like, silent comedy, and this is, like, the most contemporary version of that that makes me laugh out loud. And even specifically, this Christmas special has this place of almost iconic status in the Mr. Bean world, at least, with the turkey on his head and the the, oh, most the nativity definitely. scene.
1: The nativity scene is iconic. Hilarious. <laughs> so funny.
0: And that's the thing about the nativity scene
2: is it kind of bends the Mr. Bean mold a little bit, because, you know, I think about the apartment stuff as classic Mr. Bean. The stockings, the TV and the carolers bit, the turkey, obviously. But it's a very different take on Mr. Bean where it is actually very sound-heavy Yeah, the nativity scene.
0: I mean, it is still like, mostly shushing and...
2: It's still in the Bean wheelhouse of non-verbal comedy. It is much more reliant on sound. That's oh, not of a course. knock I against it.
0: Such a physical form of comedy in these shows to zero in on the like micro frame of a little toy you know nativity scene it makes me laugh every time it takes everything that mr bean does that it's so funny and it just kind of boils it down to the most fun minute jokes of just like it's mr bean playing with toys there's there shouldn't be too much to that but it's just it's perfect it's perfect escalation that punchline. Is...
2: It is everything you need to know about storytelling. I second
0: that.
1: Perfection.
0: I was just going to also touch on. I really had the realization that Mr. Bean is God. Just He's just adorable. Everything he does is cute. His little stocking bit, <laughs> the stuff with his bear. Oh, yeah. Hm. He's just a cute man. I, I don't understand.
2: Seamus, you really need to watch Paddington. Okay.
0: I don't know cause... why I'm still holding out on that. I need to watch Paddington and Paddington, too.
2: He's adorable. That's the thing. Like, they are the last strongholds of Paddington
0: and Mr. Bean.
2: Paddington (laughs) 3, Paddington and Mr. Bean. Where's that?
0: They grow a respect for each other
1: as the movie progresses. There's a plot
0: somewhere in there where Mr. Bean loses his own bear and he has to, like, team up with Paddington to go save him or something.
2: But I do mean that. That they are the last silent comedians and i mean paddington has a lot of wordplay in it a lot more than mr bean mr bean is a truly largely silent comedian but the strength of the writing the like hard level attention to every single piece on the board that is present in mr bean is also present in paddington the complexity of the gags um and the visual comedy is present and yeah, both this is you know one of the
0: best cases for paddington that you've ever given me and you've given me a lot garrett let me tell you
2: <laughs> i feel like i do this every week Sheamus. i feel like maybe we should just be the paddington cast. honestly
0: if it's as good as you guys say we might as well
2: all right so i think that about wraps this up though for mr bean and by proxy our christmas special special for this and year special it was
0: like i said it really got me into the spirit when not a lot of other stuff was
2: Today's pop culture reference of the episode is a Christmas cracker. While some of our international viewers probably know what these are, they are relatively obscure, becoming more popular in the United States. A holiday tradition from the United Kingdom, Ireland, and like the rest of the Commonwealth, essentially. They are also sometimes referred to as bonbons. And they are a Christmas tradition where each member of the family, or whoever you're celebrating the holiday with, cross arms and hold what looks like a little tube broken into three segments. And at the same time, you all pull them. And there's a little explosion like you would find in a cap gun, a little snapping. What would you call that, A little
0: firecracker that you pull apart.
2: Inside, you get a multicolored Christmas crown, some kind of small gift trinket-like thing, maybe a bottle opener or a compass.
0: I'm an uncultured American movie viewer, so I've, I've only ever seen them in stuff like Mr. Bean. So I love the idea of this tradition, and I, I've seen it in enough European holiday stuff that I I would think that I would know everything about it. I knew about the crowns and, like, the extra little treat, but I love that there's jokes in there, too.
1: And if you put a bunch of them together, you'll blow up your house, <laughs> like, apparently, according Mr. to Mr. Mr. Bean
0: died. That was the last episode of Mr. Bean. He just puts all the fuses of like 10 Christmas crackers together and blows his hands off.
2: So yeah, you've probably seen these in any number of British, Irish, Canadian films or television. Maybe you even have seen them in the States. You know, you can buy them at Target now, I think. So it's, they're becoming more and more popular. But that's for those of you who are uninitiated, a Christmas cracker or a bonbon, as they are known in other parts of the world. Pop, 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 pop quiz. Boys, it is tied up three to three. Seamus won last week. Are you ready to pick your category, Ricardo?
1: Let's go.
2: Your choices are Boba Fett or the National Film Ooh. Registry?
1: I don't know much about either <laughs> of these things. <laughs> If we're being totally real, I don't fully know what the Film Registry is, besides just a list of cool movies.
2: The Film Registry, honestly, we should do this for a pop culture reference sometime, but I'll still say this on air now. (laughs) It is a list of movies that are registered for preservation by the Library of Congress. There have been 25 movies inducted every year since 1989 that are historically, culturally, and artistically significant, uh, usually to American history.
1: That one, then. Let's do that one. I feel it's more even okay, if we we'll do that's it that. That's probably a
2: good plan. You guys know the rules, but for those of you playing at home, the first person to give the correct answer to the question wins. If neither of you knows the correct answer, or you say the correct answer at the exact same time, we go to the second question as a typewriter. Oh, yeah. Okay, the category is the National Film Registry. What two films in the registry? Did the studio not supply an original print for the registry to put on file, making them the only two films inducted to not technically be filed?
0: Ooh, okay, this is a hard one. I'm trying to think of like rare film print. Is one of them like like
1: Casablanca?
2: <laughs> I'll give. I'll kind of push you guys in the right direction. If you can't get it, then we'll call it. What reason would a studio have for not wanting to give an original
0: theatrical print to the Library of Congress? God, why would a studio do that? It's either damaged, or there's only one, or something.
1: Birth of a nation.
0: Okay, I'm calling it. The
2: answers are, and you will understand why immediately... Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. Is it be-
0: Oh, God. God okay. You Lucas! You have done it again.
2: They have only ever sent in the special edition prints, despite the legislation clearly stating that the films inducted must be preserved in the state which they were you know initially what? released- Take in it out of
0: the film registry. You can't negotiate with George <laughs> no. Lucas.
2: Since so either of you were able to get that one, we're gonna move on to our tiebreaker category- Which is, Boba Fett, in what Star Wars film can original Boba Fett actor, Jeremy Bullock, R.I.P., face be seen?
1: Attack of the Clones?
0: Uh, Face be seen? Is it like a Phantom Menace?
1: Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, Return of the Jedi.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what is this? Is it a New Hope with the weird deleted scene where Jabba the Hutt is like a dude? Is he there?
1: The Holiday Special.
0: Are we bad Star Wars fans? Did we name every Star War? Or are we not right?
1: <laughs> the Force Awakens. That is the right one yet. The Last Jedi. Rise of
0: Skywalker. Is it Solo? We've named every movie, Garrett.
2: No, you have not. There's literally one you haven't named. Empire? Empire.
0: Where is he helmetless in Empire?
2: The trick is, he's not helmetless as Boba Fett.
0: What? Is he just like a rebel guy on Hoth?
2: During the finale on Cloud City after Han has been frozen in carbonite and Luke has been lured, while Luke is traversing the hallways, he is engaged in a firefight with Imperial forces where Leia keeps yelling to him, Go Luke, it's a trap. She is whisked away by an Imperial officer who is played by Jeremy Bullock out of costume.
0: Good God, what a long walk. (laughs) Holy crap. You know what? I don't think I deserve the point for this one, guys. I'm going to be honest. I had no idea about any of that.
2: All right, so are we calling this our first tie, then? I think we're
0: calling it still three to three with an asterisk, because me and Ricardo are both big dummies.
2: You're a big man, Seamus. It
0: It takes a big man to do that. I, I wanna win your PS5 fair and square, Garrett. I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be cheating on this one. Oh, the, man, more it, the more
1: we say it, the more he has to do that, it. That's exactly. what I was about
2: to say. I'm a little bit worried that if the, I allow this running joke to continue, there will be expectations from the fan base.
0: <laughs> there will be a there will soon be a dusty rectangle where your PS five used to be, Garrett, let me tell you.
2: Maybe I'll buy you a PlayStation game or something. Wait, why am I paying wait, never mind. <laughs> no, why am I paying <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe we're going to have to do it again, boys. But up top, it is an official spoiler warning for The Mandalorian Season 2 finale, Chapter 16, The Rescue.
0: Hell of a finale.
2: A very interesting finale that I think in a lot of ways is the most Disney Star Wars feeling episode of The Mandalorian we've gotten so far.
0: Yeah, I could. I can see exactly where you're coming from. Jesus, I almost just want to get into the biggest reveal of them all. That's that's kind of why I'm struggling with it, is because I feel like the steps
2: they've taken are overshadowing the story that we've been following for the last two seasons. A little bit, yeah. That more importance was put on fan service than on the story that they were telling. That being said... I mean like I was freaking out. <laughs> like very true. Just because I know as a critically minded adult viewer that this isn't what's best for the themes necessarily of the show or the overall context of the show, I still there's still my fan brain which is like, Oh my goodness, I know who that is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: I know Ricardo uh, you specifically have been very vocal about your love for the Mandalorian stems from its complete separation from everything Skywalker and everything main Star Wars movie line. So I would love to hear what you think <laughs> about the return of a young Luke Skywalker.
1: You know, it didn't really bother me. It kind of it made sense. To me, at the very least, I think I wouldn't have cared as much, I guess, if it was the Jedi that came to pick up Grogu, who was like, oh, it's this random guy I've never seen before. I like that it didn't like take over the whole episode. It was all the way at the end, and it was very quickly over. And we still got that just heart-wrenching scene between little Grogu and uh, Din.
2: Yeah, God. I agree, that... Ricardo, that I think they earned it. In the narrative in terms of, like, I think they did the proper legwork to build up to that reveal. It didn't feel out of nowhere. It didn't feel rushed. I still, like, I loved that scene with Grogu and Din, where Din takes off his helmet in a moment of tenderness for the first time. It's the first time we've ever seen her take off his helmet that's not an absolute moment of self-preservation that is about a genuine connection with another living thing. I felt like Luke stepped on that moment a little bit because I was still coming down from the initial excitement of Luke showing up, whereas I felt like I wanted more of the episode's focus to be on Dan and Grogu.
0: Like they reunite after that great Beskar-Spear-Darksaber fight, and like you said, we get that excitement of Luke showing up and slashing through those dark troopers, and it's almost like they reunite and are separated again in, like, an instant. Like, there is no downtime between the, the fight and the preparing for the dark troopers to breach the doors, and watching Luke just slash through them all, and then almost immediately, may the force be with you, elevator closes, and that's that's kind of all she wrote. We we end on the saddest image of welling up Pedro Pascal, and I don't know, it feels like for the setup of like the entire Mayfeld episode, and the dramatics of having Grogu being taken in the first place, I don't know, it almost felt like they could have put an entirely extra episode in between Mayfeld and this finale, but maybe that's just me wanting more Mando, so...
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't think this finale was rushed, but I do think there was enough narrative room to put some space between the Mayfeld episode and this. I do appreciate that this opens up in the action, that we don't drag our feet getting to the actual siege of the venerator. But I think part of the reason that I wish there was a little bit more room between those two episodes is that the fact that he had just taken off his helmet one episode prior, I felt like kind of undercut the significance of him taking off his helmet here.
1: Kind of weird. The only people that have seen his face are his son and comedian Bill Burr.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I know it's for his son. Like I know he's doing it for Bill. Grogu when he does it in chapter 15. And I'm not trying to downplay the narrative significance and the character significance of that moment, but it does, I do think, rob that moment a little bit of its emotional impact. But let's talk about, that's the thing, I don't want our entire discussion to be focused around Luke Skywalker. I want to talk about the things that this series has actually been building towards from, you know, the rest of the narrative. So, We've got the return of Bo-Katan, which was cool. You know, I think it makes sense for their stories to line up, and they're after similar things, and we have a very interesting political twist there at the end with the Darksaber.
0: Yeah, I I think at the end of this episode, pre-book of Boba Fett reveal, I was a little lost on where this show was going to be headed, because you said the point of this show is Grogu and... Din's journey to reunite him with the Jedi and, like, give him the the life and the, the training that he deserves as, you know, a being of whatever that's called. I guess we didn't even learn anything of the origins of Grogu or anything, but... I think that it's now gonna shift to maybe Din aiding in the reestablishment of Mandalore as like a superpower with Bo Katan trying to find a way to like transfer that symbolic power of the Darksaber that he kind of has now.
1: Just gotta make things difficult.
0: Yeah. Hey, hey, it's the this is the way, man. I know she's not Orthodox Mandalorian, but she's still got them moral rules. It's gonna be interesting. There's gonna there's gotta be some Like, they almost tried to do it the loophole way of just... he Mando was just like, oh, yeah, I yield. Here, take it. I lose the (laughs) fight, whatever. But Uh they're going to have to find some kind of, you know, interesting and creative, lore-friendly way to transfer that power. Unless Din is going to have a major change of motivation and be like, yeah... I am the new king of Mandalore, you know? <laughs> I, th- I think they're, they're going to have to really, you know, lean into the uh, politics of what it means to be, like, that Mandalorian leader.
2: But it comes back to, the heart of the show, for me, is about Grogu and Din.
1: I agree with 100% with you, Garrett. Like you said, the heart of this show was their relationship between Pedro Pascal and Grogu. And for me personally, politics and Star Wars don't really interest me they give me prequel flashbacks we're just like oh my god i don't <laughs> care about your trade route
0: and that's and that's fair i think that turned a lot of people off to the prequels you know I, I guess i do have to agree with like grogu is such a vital part of everything that makes this show emotional in between like the laser gun fights and the you know giant explosions the ships uh spaceship chases and all that but is there even a like is there a world where it goes back to their relationship after an event like this?
2: I do think it's worth considering the idea that he doesn't stay with Luke. I don't think it's it's a guarantee at all that he was at the Jedi Temple at, as a contemporary of Kylo Ren. And which is why I wanted this to stay far away from the Skywalkers not only because I'm interested in telling human Star Wars stories that don't have to do with the fate of the galaxy, but also because it limits so much what you can do creatively. Now it's all stupid crap about us speculating about how long it takes Luke Skywalker to train him and whether or not, like, what's he doing during the sequel trilogy and all this stuff that I just wish that we didn't have to think
0: about. Well, actually, now that's got me thinking about potential for a time jump in the next season of, like, maybe Ahsoka was right in her assessment that it's too dangerous to train Grogu as a true Jedi knight and that maybe Luke will have to, you know, track down Din in whatever pursuits he's doing post-Grogu and, like, kind of explain that his attachment to Din is what is, like...
1: You just got me thinking, like, the last time a kid was taken from their parent to become a Jedi, things didn't go so well.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of what Ahsoka was saying earlier in the season of, like, we are very aware of what happens when you take an unsure child away from the attachments that they've already formed. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll get a little bit older of a Grogu. It'll be like a baby Groot, teen Groot situation.
2: And I think they were definitely aware of the parallels, between those things like i think it's already obvious that i mean grogu and anakin skywalker were born at around the same time yeah i guess and we that's just true. know that from you know math but in addition to that i think they have a lot of allusions specifically in this episode to anakin and darth vader him saying we'll see each other again i promise is very reminiscent of the way that anakin bids farewell to his mother in episode one mm, very true And also, I think the significance of a character removing his helmet to look at his son with his own eyes before they don't see each other again, that has a special significance in Star Wars. Like, that is a very direct feeling reference to the when Darth Vader removes his helmet as Anakin at the end Mm -hmm. of Return of the Jedi. And I will say that is something that that theme is brought home harder because you have return of the jedi era luke standing right there i will say that
1: it's like poetry it rhymes
2: although like if you want to talk about just screaming with your fan service brain for a second if you want to be the just let people enjoy things guys one i screamed when i saw r2d2 oh yeah
0: i i loved that
2: and two when kara says oh great one x-wing we're saved." <laughs> Oh, but I know who's
0: in that X wing. <laughs> of course, come on. Pretty, pretty good. Who else flies an X wing around just casually? I just think it overshadowed the story that
2: this show is trying to tell. It was kind of like Tarkin in Rogue One, where at the very beginning I was like, "Oh, it's that guy looks a lot like Mark Hamill." I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs>
0: <laughs> for for a split second, I thought they were gonna they were gonna do a a Sebastian Stan. Like all those. Why not just
2: do Sebastian Stan? It would look a lot less weird than that. Yeah,
0: right. Just give him a blonde bowl cut wig, man. It's fine.
2: I was cool with Mark Hamill reprising that role, if he's only going to be in this episode, I'm okay with it. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? But if Luke's going to be a larger part of the series, mm-hmm. I really do not think that this is the way that sh- they should do Luke. Let's talk about the future of the series for a minute, because we've got our Boba Fett post credit scene
0: wild wild i was not expecting yeah, a post-credit scene
2: i left the music on just while i was doing other stuff and then it all of a sudden it was more mandalorian i was like oh okay
0: all the way back to jabba's palace you know mm-hmm. classic we've got slave twi'leks we've got gamorian guards walking around it felt it felt very much like home what about fat bib fortuna yeah <laughs> fat bib fortuna made me i love that that was wonderful
2: I'm very curious about where this is leading. Once again, I kind of think we talked about this during news that the next season of The Mandalorian is going to be the book of Boba Fett, and then maybe after that we'll get a time jump and come back to the mm. Grogu Din storyline. Yeah, I think that we'll say probably... this after
1: credit scene. Did did kind of sell me on it.
2: You think he's gonna feed some people to the Sarlacc pit? Ooh. Alright, I think we should probably move on from Mando Bros. I'm sure we could talk for hours upon hours about it.
1: They were a clan of two.
2: They will be again. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Ricardo, what do you got?
1: My rec center this week is gonna be Spider Man Miles Morales for the PS4.
2: Son of a (laughs) (laughs) Double rec center!
1: Yeah, I finished I it. I uh, cannot couple... believe
2: that, Ricardo.
1: Yeah, I finished it a couple days ago. I really enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, it is, if you want to put it this way, kind of glorified DLC, but it's still fun. Especially getting to play as Miles. I love the way they they alter his animations, even so you can kind of tell like he's not super confident as a Spider-Man yet, like he's still, like he stumbles on his landings, he still like kind of wildly swings around when he's swinging, he hasn't quite mastered it, and I, I really love you know, the use yeah, of I... his bioelectric stuff.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say that I kind of, I, I'm not finished yet, I'm about, I think, halfway through the story, and I will say, I think the thing that separates it from being quote unquote glorified DLC is, I know it's short, but I think the gameplay changes are really interesting. And I really, really like his bioelectric powers. I think that they have such a nice flow to them that it's st- the gameplay still feels like Spider-Man, but I don't feel like I'm just playing Spider-Man with a different skin. There's a new flow to get used to, a new mm-hmm. combat system to kind of adapt to.
0: I'm saving Miles Morales till I get a PS5 like a lot of other games that I want to experience in their best form. So I'm just so psyched about getting to play that and i'm i'm glad that it's it's kind of like you said it's a it's a lot shorter and you know maybe less fleshed out than the original ps4 spider-man but i'm glad that it's kind of living up to the like a lot of people's favorite thing about that ps4 spider-man was that it just felt it oozed spider-man everything was so spider-man and i'm glad this kind of lives up to that too
2: i also like that it's a nice holiday game like there aren't a lot of games that are christmas games
0: i actually didn't even know it was christmas Yeah, that was a great tandem rec center there. Uh, Mine is kind of going back towards the animated television realm. And I, for the first time ever, not too long ago, for the first time I started Avatar The Last Airbender. I've been going through that like mad these days. It's on Netflix. I snoozed on it for about a decade when it first came out after being told relentlessly how good it is. I'm on the bandwagon now, you know, I'm so late to the game, but it's really good, very funny, full of heart, great action. The animation is the perfect marriage of, like, you know, Western 2D animation, and it's still got that, like, anime Mm. essence to it. I know, Garrett, you're kind of on the fence about a lot of anime-centric stuff, but this is, like, I think a great way to maybe dip your toe into the water and get kind of that high quality storytelling with you know just the the little bits and pieces of japanese anime culture that they put in there and it's also produced and written and directed in part by our boy dave filoni so if you if you know hey, yeah it's true
1: that surprised me
0: yeah right i mean if you know how good dave filoni is with clone wars and the mandalorian and you want to just see him shine some more hit up avatar the last airbender also, in part doing this so I can fully watch and hate that Shyamalan movie, but that's a different story.
1: <laughs> what, what book are you on?
0: I'm still rounding out uh, book one. I, like I said, I didn't start too long ago, but from what I've seen, I'm, I'm just kind of in love with it now. So. And when do you get to the book of Bubblegum? Uh 2021, buddy. Why don't you come back and check then? <laughs> okay, I will not come back okay, until then. See you next
2: year, losers. <laughs> just kidding, we have one more show. That wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at pcr underscore podcast, email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Make sure to give us a like or subscribe or whatever things you're supposed to do on whatever format you're listening on. And be sure to join us next week when we review Wonder Woman 1984. Merry Christmas, boys.
0: Merry Christmas, everybody.
2: God
1: bless us, everyone. Mm -hmm.
2: Ricardo I hope
0: you make that joke Mm -hmm. every year Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know we sang that first time but (laughs) fade out on that